Hey everybody, Diane Canada here. We are live. Hope you're, hope you're having a great Wednesday. It is hump day here in America and we are going to be talking today about what kind of leaders best cultivate the best opportunities for the American dream to flourish. What kind of leaders do we need in place? What kind of ideas do we need in place for American dreamers to really find their path? Ronald Reagan is going to be my focus today, and I'm going to just share a lot of these uh, ideals that he had that I think really promote that type of environment. So come back with me. We're going to have a great show today. Now's the time for faith. I will praise your holy name even when my whole world falls apart. Father, your light shines brighter. Hey guys, so uh, I'm excited to bring this show to y'all today. You know, we've been talking this week a lot about the American dreamer, right? And then we started setting the stage for how the American dream needs to be identified so that then we can understand how the dreamer can really achieve everything that that they're hardwired to do from our creator, from God. And I just want to kind of drill this down even a little bit more today because you know, I, I think that in order for us to create an environment in America, like we talked about yesterday, we've got to have certain ideals in place. We've certainly got to have a certain governing body in place in order for people to be able to go and and reach for that American dream. And, you know, I'm I'm so I'm such a champion of entrepreneurs, right? Like that is my wheelhouse. I've been an entrepreneur most of my life. That was my path out of a very um, kind of dark future that I had out ahead of me. I mean, I didn't, I didn't have a lot of, um, you know, like a lot of people out there, I didn't, I didn't have a, a big head start. Um, I was working, I was kind of working from behind the line a little bit. I had made some early life choices that really, you know, set my path up to be difficult. And so I didn't get to finish college and entrepreneurship ended up being kind of my cavalry that came for me. And so I, I just see so many people in America that have benefited from the opportunity to explore and risk and try things and test things. And it kind of like I always say to take your potential out for a test drive and just see what it can do. <laughs> right. Like that is that's what I love to do is help people do that. So, you know, I want to kind of just expand on this today and talk about what kind of what kind of environment do we need for all classes and all ethnicities to be able to flourish in America? You know, I really believe that a republic is the only way that that can happen. And I'm going to prove it to you today with a little help from my friend, Ronald Reagan. <laughs> so most of you watching are going to remember Ronald Reagan. Uh, I was in high school when he was president of the United States. And I remember it really, really well because uh, during that time I was on the color guard and our rifle team, we actually got to go and perform for him. He came to Atlanta, uh, which is where I grew up, and he was speaking for a big American freedom rally. I think it was at the Omni there. And it was a really big deal. I mean, thousands and thousands of people turned out for this. And it was just the honor of my life. I appreciate it probably more now than I did then, but the honor of my life to get to, you know, to get to be in a room with him, to get to perform for him, and also to get to uh, be inspired by him. I mean, I was so mesmerized by 
the way he spoke, his way with people. And I was so inspired by his message that I've been a Republican ever since. I have never, ever gravitated toward Democratic policies uh, because he just so eloquently taught me why I shouldn't. <laughs> and again, I think back then, I mean, I'm in high school, right? So I, we, I didn't even fully grasp the the gravity of that message. But now as I've aged, I've gotten older, it, I can see that it's it was embedded in there very, very deeply and very, very well. So I'm always indebted to Ronald Reagan for that. But I think, I mean, arguably, a lot of people would argue that he is the best president that we've ever had in America, the very best. And uh, I, I thought it was really interesting when I started researching him that he also came under great scrutiny. Um, there was a lot of socialist agendas being pushed even when he was in office. You know, this kind of all started um, back with Teddy Roosevelt. And if you go back and you research kind of the advancements of progressivism and socialism in our nation, you're going to find it kind of rooted there. And, and it has, had been creeping forward in the 70s before he took office is when we really started seeing a shift because that is when uh, a lot of our lawmakers started handing over their power to bureaucrats. That's when we started setting up all of these agencies and kind of handing over all three areas of government to them, the judiciary. I mean, every the lawmaking body, the judiciary, all of it in the executive branch was all kind of handed over to these bureaucrats. They basically are kind of um, governing in a way. And it took a lot of the power away from the legislatures, legislators. So this kind of trend was was really getting uh, gaining speed. And Reagan came in and he was really battling that even then. I mean, obviously now we're even we're much more advanced with it, but he had this struggle then. And he's got this famous speech that um, I would really love to play for you. It'll take a minute, uh, but I think it's worth sharing just so it'll set the stage for his belief system and how we can, you know, how we can bring that into a relevant topic for today. So just listen to Reagan here for, for a couple minutes and I'll be right back with you. Here you go. Well, I think it's time we ask ourselves if we still know the freedoms that were intended for us by the founding fathers. Not too long ago, two friends of mine were talking to a Cuban refugee, a businessman who had escaped from Castro. And in the midst of his story, one of my friends turned to the other and said, we don't know how lucky we are. And the Cuban stopped and said, how lucky you are. I had some place to escape to. And in that sentence, he told us the entire story. If we lose freedom here, there's no place to escape to. This is the last stand on earth. And this idea that government is beholden to the people, that it has no other source of power except the sovereign people, is still the newest and the most unique idea in all the long history of man's relation to man. Whether we believe in our capacity for self-government or whether we abandon the American Revolution and confess that a little intellectual elite in a far distant capital can plan our lives for us better than we can plan them ourselves. You and I are told increasingly we have to choose between a left or right. Well, I'd like to suggest there is no such thing as a left or right. There's only an up or down. And regardless of their sincerity, their humanitarian motives, those who would trade our freedom for security have embarked on this downward course. But beyond that, the full power of centralized government this was the very thing the Founding Fathers sought to minimize. They knew that governments don't control things. A government can't control the economy without controlling people. And they know when a government sets out to do that, 
it must use force and coercion to achieve its purpose. We have so many people who can't see a fat man standing beside a thin one without coming to the conclusion the fat man got that way by taking advantage of the thin one. So they're going to solve all the problems of human misery through government and government planning. Well, now, if government planning and welfare had the answer, and they've had almost 30 years of it, shouldn't we expect government to read the score to us once in a while? Shouldn't they be telling us about the decline each year in the number of people needing help, the reduction in the need for public housing? But the reverse is true. Each year, the need grows greater. The program grows greater. Not too long ago, a judge called me here in Los Angeles. He told me that a young woman who'd come before him for a divorce. She had six children, was pregnant with her seventh. Under his questioning, she revealed her husband was a laborer earning $250 a month. She wanted the divorce to get an $80 raise. She's eligible for $330 a month in the Aid to Dependent Children program. She got the idea from two women in her neighborhood who'd already done that very thing. Yet any time you and I question the schemes of the do-gooders, we're denounced as being against their humanitarian goals. They say we're always against things, we're never for anything. Well, the trouble with our liberal friends is not that they're ignorant, it's just that they know so much that isn't so. Now... <laughs> You got to love that. Uh, I, I've played that before on my show, but it's always worth uh, sharing again because he just has a way with words. And if you've never seen him speak for some reason, then hopefully that inspired you today. Are we not living that right now? I mean, could that speech not be relevant for right now? Uh, I mean, it's so true. So here I found it interesting, too, when I looked back over great societies in history um, and my husband helped me to, to kind of see this as well, that every great society, no matter where, no matter what time period you want to pull from, no matter what area of the world you want to pull from, great societies go through very predictable cycles when it comes to government, so with, to, when it comes to the way that they are governed. And so this is the cycle. So right now we're in a republic, right? The next cycle would be democracy. And democracy, we all think that that is great, right? We all think that that is the way it should be, that it should be equal, you know, one vote, equal vote. Um, but something that we don't really think about when we think about democracy, this is how this is how people get muscled and bullied. And really, it can be dangerous for a society. Um, this is one quote that I love that says, you know, when it, when it comes to democracy and a majority rule, then we have situations like this where two wolves and a sheep are voting on what's for dinner. Imagine that. You don't, that sheep's not going to come out very well in that equation. So that's why we don't have a democracy. A republic is what we have. It's governed by the consent of the people through elected representatives. That is the most fair way, you know, to, to run a society. But the cycle goes republic and then democracy, right? And then socialism is always followed next. That's always followed by communism, which is completely oppressive. We know that that's the, all this Marxist talk, all the socialist talk that we're having right now in our, in our nation. This is where we're headed, guys, if we don't stop it. So after communism is going to come anarchy. It's where people are going to rise up. They're going to overthrow. And then we're going to come into a dictatorship after that. And then usually after that in history, there's been a monarchy parliament and then we come back around to a republic again but it kind of goes in these cycles and it's so interesting to me that every great society has started out that way 
dictatorship, monarchy, parliament, republic, democracy, socialism, communism, then anarchy. And then it starts back over again. <laughs> so go look it up. It's, it's pretty interesting. When our founding fathers came out of the, the room when they were writing the Constitution and somebody asked, uh, I think it was Benjamin Franklin, they said, well, you know, do we do we have what kind of government do we have? And he says, well, we have a republic for as long as we can keep it. So, you know, we look at all these forms of government in these cycles. The only one that truly nurtures environments for entrepreneurs, innovativeness, creativity, all of that, the only one that really supports that is a republic. And that's what we're desperately trying to hold on to here in our country. I think a lot, you know, I've, I've done some shows on this in the past. If you've seen where a lot of people think that, you know, this, that a republic tends to lead toward, you know, in a, in a capitalist society, free market societies, all that, that it leads toward greed and all that. Of course, that is a danger. But, and I'm not saying that we don't have greedy people in America. I'm sure we do. Uh, but, but what it does do is it allows all people to rise, no matter their station, no matter their birth, you know, their birthright, no matter their um, economic or social status, it gives anyone, I mean, how many success stories have we seen people risen from nothing to greatness, you know, and we love those stories, right? So many, I mean, biography after biography after biography that we've read, you know, we've seen movies about, this is the only environment that that kind of trajectory can be nurtured in. So a republic is what we have to hold on to. I love another thing that I really loved about Reagan was his optimism. I mean, he really brought a forward thinking optimism to Americans. He was so beloved and he had a way uh, of using humor and, uh, and, and really penetrating people emotionally. Like he just was able to really get to the heart of a situation and bring you along with him. And I, I just love him for that. As a result of his presidency, we had an entrepreneurial revolution in our country prior to him taking office. I mean, we had really high unemployment. We had really high inflation. We had just come off of, uh, I mean, the Jimmy Carter days, which was just a train wreck as far as a presidency goes. Um, he had inherited a lot of really tough, uh, he, just, he inherited a really tough, you know, administration to run and but he turned it around and we had this like I said this entrepreneurial revolution under his leadership and I mean he just created an environment where people could really step up and I'll tell you it was during his administration too this is something really interesting in 1988 under his presidency he signed into law the, I, I believe it was the Women Business Ownership Act. It was something like that. Um, I used to be with NABO and we, we would celebrate this every year. In 1988, it gave women permission to open their own businesses without a man having to co-sign for them. So up until that point, women could not own their own businesses without a man co-signing. And it didn't even have to be a, a, a business owner. I mean, one woman, I remember reading about this, she had her 17-year-old son co-sign just because he was a man. Okay. So, I mean, <laughs> that's how recent a lot of this entrepreneurial, all these breakthroughs are. And so, yeah, Ronald Reagan sat down and signed that bill into law. I think it was the Women Business Ownership Act or something like that. And yeah, so women could finally now step onto the entrepreneurial stage 
on their own and pursue their own American dream. So he was really, uh, he was really instrumental in helping entrepreneurs flourish. His major policy priorities were cutting taxes, reducing federal spending, restricting federal regulations, and increasing military spending. Now, I want to talk about the first three primarily today. So cutting taxes, cutting federal spending, and cutting the federal regulations. The one in three there are especially important for entrepreneurs because when you own a business, a lot of people don't aren't aware of the taxes that even small business owners really endure. You know, when somebody like right now, they're talking a lot in our news about increasing the minimum wage, right? So they want to have a minimum wage of $15 an hour. And then, you know, people can obviously pay more than that if they can. But small business owners, for a lot of them, $15 an hour would be difficult to do. And it's not just because of the hourly rate. But it's the taxes that come with that. You know, there are payroll taxes. You know, an employer has to meet, has to match Social Security taxes. And there there are a lot of things that a business owner has to consider when they're hiring someone at a certain rate because it's not just $15 an hour. There's a lot more on top of that. You know, plus business owners have to carry things like workman's comp insurance. and They have to cover unemployment insurance and all these things. So, there, you know, when you bring somebody in to work for you, there's a whole, there, there are several more layers on top of what they're actually going to pay that person that has to be considered. And so this is why there's uh, such an argument around this. This is why business owners don't want to be locked into that. Do I think that, you know, I got asked this when I was running for office. They're like, well, don't you think that people should be able to make at least $15 an hour? Shouldn't we have a, a minimum wage increase like that? And again, because I've, I've consulted business owners for so many years, no, I don't think we should. And the other reason why is because I don't want to encourage people to just settle for a minimum wage job. I want people to go and reach their potential. I want them to reach for the stars. I want them to really be able to, you know, become everything that they were created to be. I don't want people settling for a minimum, you know, for any kind of minimums in their lives, any kind of mediocre, mediocrity, any kind of minimum. I want people to think, I, I want them to think bigger than that. So I'm not a champion of that. But more importantly, I know of the repercussions to small business owners when we start putting policies like that in place. There's a ripple effect that can really, really hurt them. You know, now maybe a large corporation who's been around for 20 years, maybe they can afford that, you know, but most of those jobs that we're talking about that are minimum wage type jobs, majority of them are going to be, um, they're, they're mostly going to be hired by small business owners. So we have to think about that. And then the regulations, that part of it, that piece of it there, we also have to consider because, you know, when for small businesses, especially or anything that we're trying to get through uh, a lot of the red tape, you know, in government and, and regulation, there are a lot of fees and things that go along with being able to own a business and a lot of red tape there that needs to be cut through. So it makes it easier for people to become entrepreneurs, easier for people to start small businesses and scale them. You know, and when you have a lot of this government red tape in the way, then it just hinders and it makes it really difficult for people to really rise and flourish. So that's really important um, when we were talking about his policies. I mean, those were he, he was all about. He was just a champion for entrepreneurship and a champion for small business owners. And when they rise, 
everybody rises because in, an, unemployment goes down because now we've got more jobs available. And I know he really was beat up a lot for his trickle down effect ideas. But I'm here to tell you as a consultant, it's the truth. You know, we're like right now they're talking about, well, like in the Biden administration, for instance, they're talking about, well, we're only going to tax the rich. We're only going to tax those that make four hundred thousand dollars a year or more. We're only going to tax these businesses, you know, these large businesses. Well, it always trickles down, always trickles down to the to that minimum wage employee, because here's what's going to happen if we start kicking these regulations back in and we start kicking in these taxes again, these high taxes again, then guess what they're going to do? They're going to take their businesses back offshore. Everything that Trump did to try to get our major businesses to bring jobs back to America, it's all going to go away again. So, you know, these folks are going to be sitting around unemployed again, you know, or they're going to have to increase the other thing that a, companies will, that a company will do to offset, you know, that those taxes and those regulations is they'll increase their fees for their services or their products. So don't you think that's going to trickle down, you know, to the average American? Of course it is. You know, or it may be that they cut benefits to their employees. Maybe maybe it, when they're flourishing, you know, they have opportunities to offer better health packages and better retirement packages and all that. Well, maybe corporations are going to look at that and say, hey, you know, we've got to tighten our belt. So we're going to have to cut back on those types of benefits. Um, so it always trickles down in some way. Biden's bright ideas when it comes to taxing the rich or taxing these corporations, it's going to it's going to backfire. It always does. Only when we promote an environment for businesses to grow, do we see that trickle down in a good way for Americans. Only, that's the only way that it happens. When people are incentivized and people are incentivized in, when it comes to money, they just are. You know, I used to say this, when people are incentivized then they're going to, they're going to make different decisions than when they feel like they don't have those choices. I used to, uh, like I said, be a consultant and, uh, you know, I used to go in and I would talk with my doctors, you know, in the, my early part of my career, I shared with y'all how I was a consultant in the medical field. And so I would work with a lot of private practices and the doctors, you know, would always give me a hard time when I would want to put bonuses in place for their employees. I'd say we we've, we need to be able to share in some of this and put some bonuses if they've met a certain criteria for the month, they've met a certain goal or they've, you know, they've really uh, over, you know, even overachieved what we had set for them, then they need to be rewarded for that. And they'd give me a hard time. No, I just can't afford that. No, you know, and I'd say, well, what, what motivates you to come into work every day? And of course he'd say, oh, my patients, whatever. So no, what, why are you here every day? And eventually we would get down to the truth, which is you're here for money, right? You're here for a paycheck. You're here to feed your family. Well, if money motivates you, I would always say to them, why would it not motivate them? And it does. So, and it works that way in every area, in every form of government. You know, we were talking the other day, if y'all saw my show on, uh, on Marxism, I had a, a woman who came on the show, Daniela, who grew up in a Marxist nation. And she was talking about how in, in you know, we were talking about her day-to-day -day life, like what was it actually like living under that rule? And she was talking about like when it comes to doctors, for instance, or anybody business owners. She said that they always had a shortage of doctors because they didn't have the incentive anymore to put in all that extra time and, and energy and, and work into school. You know, and even when they would graduate, she talked about how the government would then tell them where they were going to go work. And a lot of times it was atrocious conditions. She talked about how the, you know, the, the hospitals or the, or the treatment rooms were just gross with 
mold and, and mildew and nothing was sanitized. And it was definitely not, uh, <laughs> you know, the kind of environment you'd want to work in. I mean, for fear of catching something, if nothing else, she said, you just hoped and prayed you never got sick. Well, if that was the case for them, it was certainly the case for the doctors. They didn't want to put themselves in that environment every day. So they had a shortage of doctors and the hospitals were not uh, competing anymore with other hospitals. So there was no need to keep up the sanitation or anything like that. It was all just government run. So these are the these are the repercussions. These are the consequences of of not incentivizing people or companies. All of this. I mean, it definitely trickles down. So Reagan was right on the money with that. Um, you know, he believed that reducing the role of government would lead to increased economic growth, which in turn would lead to higher revenues to help pay down the national debt. One of the quotes that he said that was so good, I always thought was, we don't have a trillion dollar debt because we haven't taxed enough. He says, we have a trillion dollar debt because we spend too much. <laughs> he was so right. Um, I, I'm going to leave you with a couple of other quotes before I pray over you today, but just some food for thought. And again, just trying to put some little um, arrows in your arsenal back here. So when you want to pull them out, you know, in your speech, in your conversations with people gently and gracefully, I always say, these are things you can be armed with, right? So Reagan said, Republicans believe that every day is the 4th of July, right? This independence, you know, this opportunity to explore our God-given potential. But Democrats believe that every day is April 15th. <laughs> Pay up, <laughs> right? And that's so true. Here's another few quotes. The greatest leader, he says, is not necessarily the one who does the greatest things, but the one who gets people to do great things. And I love that. I mean, it, it's so, so true. Um, another one, he says, is government's view of the economy could be summed up in a few short phrases. <laughs> if it moves, tax it. If it keeps moving, regulate it. And if it stops moving, subsidize it. <laughs> I love that one. And uh, he also said, I hope we once again have reminded people that man is not free unless government is limited. There's a clear cause and effect that is as neat and predictable as the law of physics. As government expands, liberty contracts. 100% truth. And then this is the last one. Freedom prospers when religion is vibrant and the rule of law under God is acknowledged. So that just sums up a lot of what I've been sharing this week, that we have to have a, we have to all be in agreement on our moral compass, on what's what, right and what's wrong, um, how we're going to approach each other, how we're going to leave room for other ideas and, and, and be humble and grateful for all of the things that we have here in America these are all of the fruit of the spirit that I was talking about yesterday that we've, we can't come out of the gate right now, everybody, as we're, as we're watching our nation change, we can't come out and beat people over the head with our Bibles or our beliefs. We have to come out this from a graceful place and using um, a lot of the historical assets that are available to us, like the, like these types of quotes from Reagan or like these um, opportunities that we've had in America to succeed, looking at what those, um, what those runways looked like and trying to duplicate those, being able to share that with people from a place of, you know, uh, from a place of peace and being able to, to confidently share our ideas in conversations that you have with everyday people. This is what's going to turn us around. I truly believe with all my heart, it's a grassroots effort right now, arming you with these types of, 
of this type of knowledge and an ability to, to, to deliver it in a graceful and magnetic way is what's going to be effective, I believe. So I hope that has helped. I want to thank Reagan for his uh, contribution today. And um, I'm going to close in some prayer over you guys uh, before we before we end the show today. So so let's pray. Father, I want to pray over every person under the sound of my voice right now. I want to pray, Lord, over their courage and over their all of I want to pray for them to have courage, Lord. And courage doesn't mean that we don't feel fear. It just means that we stand up in the face of it and we do it anyway. But Lord, I want you to help teach people how how to wield that sword of courage. Lord, please help us to understand and help us to check in with you first before we deliver any kind of a message or have any kind of a conversation that we have to come at this from a humble place, Lord. We have to come at it from a place of love and compassion that Lord, we, we want our nation to remain free and we want entrepreneurs and dreamers here to be able to flourish. But Lord, we know that it, if we're going to have that kind of a society, it's got to start with us. It's got to start with the man in the mirror and Lord, that we would not be off putting in our conversations, that we would not you know, repel people, but instead we would attract them that we, again, like I said, would be magnetic. And Lord, that they would be drawn to us and drawn to this optimism that Reagan had and drawn to the optimism that they'll see in our own eyes as a result. So, Lord, I ask that you just pump that into everybody watching today, that they would be incredible ambassadors for you and for championing freedom in America, being able to really win people's hearts and minds. That Lord, you would turn our nation back to you and that you would heal our land. That's my prayer. In Jesus' name I pray, Lord, I love you. Amen. Amen. All right, guys. Hope this has been helpful for you today. And uh, I will see you back here again tomorrow, 3 o'clock sharp. Have a great day, everybody. Bye-bye.